加拉太书五章二十二到二十三节。圣灵所结的果子，就是仁爱、喜乐、和平、忍耐、恩慈、良善、信实、温柔、节制。这样的事没有律法禁止。Galatians five twenty-two to twenty-three. But the fruit of the spirit is love. Joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. This is the word of the Lord for us. Good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing today? I'm excited because、uh, we're in Galatians. If you remember. And right now we're getting to chapter five, which I think is one of the most, you know, packed full of goodness chapters that you could possibly ask for from the Apostle Paul's writings. And I feel a little bit lucky that I got, you know, I landed on on my week, so I get to talk about Galatians chapter five. And on the way up to stage, literally、um, just about two minutes ago, I received a text message,、uh, and so it reminded me to turn my phone off because that's, you know, so if you haven't turned your phone off.、Um, Now be a good time to do that. But the text message was actually from、uh, a guy who's helping me renovate、uh, my office. I'm I'm in charge of overseeing the renovation of of this office, and it reminded me a few a few years ago I did very similar thing. I renovated or, or helped oversee the renovation of of the same office actually. <laughs> and、um, <clears throat> we, don't worry, it's not the same part. We didn't do a really bad job, but and.、Uh, I remember getting everything ready and telling the the people that were working on the renovation exactly what I wanted. This is how I want it to be built. This is the colors I want. This is the materials I want.、And、then I went away, and I had things to do. Of course, I was busy. When I came back, I remember walking into the room and seeing that this isn't exactly what I had asked you to do. I thought, you know, I told you exactly where to get the resources.、Um, I told you which resources to get. Here's the number. Here's the location where you can buy the paint, the colors. The, the materials, everything you have to renovate the office the way that I've asked you to renovate it, and you've gone back to your old suppliers and gotten things that weren't really what I asked you to get. And so, just on the way up to stage here now, I was thinking there must be a sermon illustration in that somewhere. So, we'll get to that in a second. You know, as I was、uh, in the back just before that, a lot of people walked in. They saw that I had this microphone attached, and I think. Sometimes people look at me and say, "Oh, sweet Jesus, please help me in because he's going to preach." And and about I don't know how many people, maybe six people,、uh, probably came up and prayed for me. So I this is like this heads of protection kind of thing going on. So I I couldn't possibly say anything stupid today. But they were also praying for you, which is good because that means there's like a filter between what I say and what you hear. Today that filter is called my wife, and she's translating. So it's better if you listen in Chinese because when I, when I screw up, if I say something wrong, she'll correct it. That doesn't make any sense. That's not what he must have meant. So, so if you speak Chinese, I'm going to encourage you to put in your earphones and, and go for that. I'm just kidding. She's an excellent wife and a really excellent translator.、Uh, so, yes, amen. <laughs> But even though six people prayed for me today, I thought it would be good to.、Uh, Pray again, Heavenly Father. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we、uh, can worship you. 
thank you that we have this, this space and this time to come together and to, to love you uh, with song, with listening to your word, with fellowship together. But I pray that uh, whatever I say today would not be, uh, would not be from me, it would be from you. I thank you that you desire that, that we tap into your, uh, your Holy Spirit in all of our interactions, that, uh, that you're the one who, who desires to speak through us, to act through us, to love through us. And I pray that that would be true. Speak to me today and to us. I pray that we would um, learn in the midst of this uh, very famous passage of Scripture that we've probably heard hundreds of times that there would be something that, that you want to say to us, whether it's old or whether it's new and fresh. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've been following along uh, for the past few weeks, you know that we're in the book of Galatians. And I thought um, maybe for several reasons, it might be good to kind of review where we're up, up to un until this point. Because... Um, some of you may not have been here. I know that there's at least one new person that wasn't here for the last few weeks. Welcome. And, uh, or maybe if you're like me, you maybe forgot what happened last week because things are so busy, or maybe you just weren't paying attention and may God have mercy on your soul. But, uh, so Paul, as you know, was um, a Pharisee, and he was encountering, uh, he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. And in that encounter, uh, he changed his entire outlook on life, his theology, his understanding of God, his doctrine or his teaching of, of what, what God wants of us and how we live the Christian life. Because up until that point, Paul was, in his own words, in terms of the law, blameless. Right? He had lived according to the law up until that point. And this encounter with Christ where Jesus said, you know, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And then he called Paul to be an apostle or to be a sent one to the Gentiles. All right, so this is sort of the background. We talked about this before. He's bringing Jesus' good news to the Gentiles. And he started a few churches um, pretty much immediately after that in this, uh, this area called Galatia. And so this is not a letter to just one church, but it's a letter to a few different churches around the area. And as far as we know, according to the Bible, that Paul did not encounter the other apostles like Peter and James and John and, and the other disciples uh, before this point. So he was called by Jesus directly on the road to Damascus, and he shortly thereafter went to go and minister to the Gentiles because he felt that Jesus had called him to bring the good news of the gospel to the Gentiles. Okay? Now, this is important for us here in this church because how many people here are a Jew? One? Two? Two generations back? Two generations back? One generation back? Or you're just first generation? How many other people? Okay. So like most churches around the world today, the majority of people who call themselves Christians or followers of Christ are not Jewish uh, by ethnicity. Okay? We're Gentiles. And so this change in what happened after the death of Christ and his resurrection and his ascension into heaven and his, his message to his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations was always in, in Jesus' plan, but it was Paul, really, at this point, and the, the ministry that he did after this point, 
that brought the gospel into the, the realm of the Gentiles, where we today, as Gentiles, as non-Jewish people, get to experience uh, being part of that family with the Jews, being grafted in with the Jews. And so Paul, when he started these churches, he didn't require them to follow the, the Old Testament Jewish law or the Torah, uh, which was actually, I mean, I don't know if you've ever read the Old Testament. I'm assuming most of us here have read the Old Testament, but there are hundreds of laws. There are hundreds of little things to follow. And according to Paul, he actually had done a really good job of following those different things uh, his entire life. And so in terms of the law, he was blameless, but he did not require any of these Gentile believers to follow the Torah. And so in the book of Acts, he actually goes and he meets with, uh, with Peter in, in, uh, meets with, in Jerusalem and in Antioch, but he, uh, he goes and meets with the other apostles, the other disciples, and he goes and said, this is what I've been doing. I've been, I've been interacting with these, with these new people who are following Jesus now, but they're not Jews, and so far I've told them, we don't have to follow the law, we don't have to get circumcised, we don't have to do all the things that, that the law says. All we have to do is be part of the new covenant or the new law. And so this is the, the central part of Paul's message. And as he goes away, and he comes back from this council to find out how he can shepherd these churches, he comes back or somehow gets news from them, and he, and he realizes that somebody or somebodies have been uh, tainting the teaching. They've been discrediting Paul's Position as an apostle, as a, as a called one of, of Jesus. And they've been requiring some of these churches in Galatia to follow parts of the law. Specifically, he talks about circumcision in this case. And so this is, you know, Paul's angry. This is part of the reason he's writing this letter is in response to this, this false teaching. What he calls a leaven. It, it ruins the whole batch, right? And, and most of the letter that he's written up until this point, he's talking very directly about this, this is... I don't know who's fooled you. I don't know what you're talking about. This is ridiculous. I told you very clearly the gospel, and it was not this. And here you are, going back to your old suppliers, and not following my instructions on what I said. Right? So in chapter 5, we come to what I, I, I think is really the core of, of Paul's theology and his doctrine. Um, you know, remember a, a few weeks ago, we were going through the book of Philippians, and when I spoke about an overview, and, and chapter 2 is really the core of that entire book. Chapter 2 in Philippians, uh, there's this, this little poem almost about Christ, and it's really a history of the fall of man, the, the Jesus coming and, and, and taking the role of a man that didn't regard equality with God, a thing that he could grasp, but instead he humbled himself and he became obedient. And Paul in Philippians spends most of that time uh, in that letter talking about ways that we can be like Christ. And here he's saying that is the new gospel, that is, that is the new law, that is the new covenant is that we can be like Christ, but he hasn't necessarily told them exactly how. And here in chapter 5 he suggests not only uh, that we ought to be like Christ and that that's the core of the, of the new covenant, but he actually gives some examples of how we can be like Christ and what the result of that ought to be. And he showed us that we have uh, freedom in Christ. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. And we see that freedom played out in various ways. You know, I never went to seminary, but uh, when I've listened to most of the people preaching sermons and, and heard people talk about 
preparing sermons, they say it's really good to have a three-point sermon because it helps people kind of figure it out. It's, it's you know, just three points and it sticks with it. So I've broken my sermon down into three points um, th- and three points in 27 different groups. So <laughs> multiples of three. There's, there's just so much goodness in this, in this chapter, I think, that it, 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 it makes sense that we talk about a few of them. So the first is the freedom, the idea of freedom. And Paul says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. This is, again, in chapter 5. And there's three parts of this chapter. He talks about uh, the freedom from the law, the freedom from the flesh, and the freedom toward being filled with the Spirit. Okay? So we experience those, different, those three different things. The freedom from the law, Paul sums up the entire Torah, or the law of the, of the Jewish people, in, in one commandment. Uh, very similar to Jesus, if you remember, uh, again, a few weeks ago, I was talking about love. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said that the entire law, the most important commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Here, Paul doesn't mention the first one, but he says that the entire law is summed up in this one command, to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you remember what we talked about, love your neighbor as yourself from my understanding of what Jesus said, is that loving yourself is actually technically not possible. It was sort of a tongue-in-cheek way of saying, you already really take care of yourself, right? You, when you're thirsty, you find water. When you're cold, you find clothing. When you're hungry, you go eat something. And all the examples that Jesus talks about loving your neighbor are saying, go and do those things for your neighbor. Because love is other-centered. By definition, agape is other-centered, not self-centered. So we, we don't love ourselves, but he's saying, in the way that you act like you love yourself, you need to go and love other people in those ways. And so you go and feed your neighbor, you clothe your neighbor, you, uh, you give your neighbor something to drink, and you treat them in that way. So Paul, again, here is, is summarizing really the entire law. All of those, I don't know how many there are, 637 or something like that. 632? 32? 632. Uh, I think mean, I was close. I was off by less than 1%. So. <laughs> 632 different laws, right? They're all summed up in pretty much this one phrase, love your neighbor as yourself. And it makes me think, have I, have I done this? Right? It should be convicting for us. Have, have we done this? Because Jesus, in his example here on earth, was virtually this. He loved his neighbor as himself. But his, his love was genuinely true agape. Then after he talks about loving your neighbor as yourself and the freedom that we have and that we have freedom from the law, freedom from our flesh, and then freedom to live in the spirit, I think it's useful to point out some, some common misconceptions and misinterpretations. Because this is a uh, really common passage, especially verses 22, 23. We heard them read just before the sermon today. And it's something that most of us are familiar with. We've probably heard songs about the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, we've, we've learned it in Sunday school. Maybe you have pictures on your fridge that your kids drew and it's got different kinds of fruit on it. Maybe? Anyone? So the first misconception is as it contrasts the, the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit is a problem that was common in Paul's time and sometimes is still uh, 
maybe not as common or not as, as explicitly stated, but a problem that we struggle with today. And that is an idea of a, of a dualistic nature that our body or the physical is evil or base and that the spirit is good and that that's what we're trying to do. We're not trying to follow the, the desires of our body or our, our physical nature, but we're, we need to act in the spiritual nature. And this is common in uh, the Roman Empire, this idea of this dualistic idea. But in a biblical worldview, the body is actually valued. Paul's not talking about our physical nature, our physical body. He's talking about our sinful nature or our, the nature of man. In fact, if you hold to a Christian worldview, the body is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's not our body that makes us sin. Right? When he's talking about flesh, he's talking about our, our, the natural man. And this is, you know, all of Paul's writings are rife with, with analogies of the natural man and the sinful nature. All of the, the major issues that you hear in the news today, especially political issues that are talking about body, are really a secular idea of, of <laughs> a twisted secular idea of this idea that the, the spirit and the body are separate, or the soul and the body are separate. You think about um, gender dysphoria. You think about abortion. You think about euthanasia. These ideas that the body is not as valuable as who I am, my soul, right? But that's not what Paul's teaching here, and it's not what Jesus taught. In fact, Jesus chose, we, we call it uh, Christ incarnate, which means in the flesh, literally, right? He chose to be among men as a man, and yet was without sin, right? So it's not the body that makes us sin. It's the sinful nature. And Jesus did not have uh, any sin. So even in the flesh, in the body, he never sinned. So again, the flesh here is speaking of the sinful nature. I think another misconception that we often, uh, we often hear, even in some of the translations of the Bible, uh, in Galatians 5 verse 22, is that the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, right, kindness. But in fact, the, the original Greek, it doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit are. It says the fruit of the Spirit is. It's a singular word. The fruit of the Spirit is. You could think of it like the fruit of an apple tree, right? The fruit of an apple tree is apples, but it's uh, may, maybe a specific kind of apple. It could be red, sweet, tart, crisp, refreshing. It is all of those things. That's the fruit of the Spirit. It is, it is actually one fruit, and these are the different Christian virtues or the different aspects of that fruit. As we are tapped into the Holy Spirit and as we live according to the Spirit, this fruit gets exhibited in our lives, in our actions. So it's not a a la carte choice menu here, right? A lot of us will think, well, I'm, I'm doing pretty well. I'm full of the Spirit. I'm, I'm pretty loving, but I'm not patient, Right? The Holy Spirit. This is the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of Ian. Not the fruit of you. Right? So it's not that I can say, well, I'm pretty loving and pretty kind, but I'm not patient. Incidentally, I think it's very funny. Have you ever heard anyone say, don't pray for patience, because if you pray for patience, God will give you trials. or give you reasons to be patient, right? But if you're going to use that logic, then you should say, well, don't pray for anything then, right? Don't pray for love, because if you pray for love, God will give you unloving people. Don't pray for kindness, because if you pray for kindness, God will give you reasons to be unkind. You know, don't pray for 
self-control, because if you pray for self-control, God will give you reasons that you can't control yourself. That's not true. And in fact, we are not trying to pray for any of these individual aspects of the Spirit living through us. That's really not what, what our goal is here. Which brings me to, I think, a third misconception. The fruit of the Spirit is not the seed. It's the fruit, right? That's why it's called the fruit of the Spirit. And oftentimes we think, I just need to be lear- learn how to be more patient. Or I need to be more gentle. Or I need to be more kind. And, and even the idea of praying for those things, not that it's wrong, technically. But really, that's not what we do. We don't say, God, please help me to be more patient. Help me to be more kind. Paul is saying those those actually come from being in Christ. They actually come from being, uh, having the Spirit flow through us, and from us, we are this, like, I mean, Jesus calls it a branch, right? We're a branch plugged into the vine, and if we're plugged into the vine, then we bear the fruit of the vine. And so, don't think of it as an a la carte way of dealing with things. I'm not going to be able to do pretty well in patience and do pretty well in kindness, but I'm not actually able to have self-control. We often think that we need to be the ones that produce it. If we're going to produce this fruit, then it's not the fruit of the Spirit. It's still the fruit of us. Does that make sense? And Paul, you know, he uses, and, and Jesus as well, they use this, this sort of far, farming or vineyard analogy of the vine, the branches, the, the tree, the fruit. And most of us aren't farmers. and Maybe we, we can understand it because it's simple. But if you want another analogy, in 2016, in August, there was an American Airlines airplane, I think it was a 737, that on the runway before takeoff, the uh, engine had a little part inside that broke, broke apart, flew into the engine, and the engine blew up. And it caught fire, and it actually eventually melted the wing of the airplane. Of course, it didn't take off after that point. The good news is that everyone inside the airplane was safe. When General Electric researched what happened, they found that the part in that engine that broke, when they, they sourced that part and figured out what happened, it was actually hadn't been used for 30 years. For 30 years in the engines of these airplanes. And it was very possible that this airplane was the only one that still had that specific part. And the problem that GE found with that part is that the nickel metal alloy that made that bearing or that that part was inside the the engine was a flawed alloy. And so from a manufacturing perspective, if we want the end product to be excellent and to be working as God intended it, you have to have transparency from sourcing all the way through the manufacturing line until you roll out the product at the end. And so if I'm putting my 30-year-old parts into what I think is going to produce the fruit of the Spirit, then I end up with things exploding. Right? I can't bring my patience to the table because it's not the fruit of Ian. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And Jesus... I think it was very clear that we need to, go back to the farming analogy, abide in him. And if you've been part of Capital Community Church for any amount of time, except for today, sorry, I mean, this, this hasn't happened yet today, but we're getting there right now. For any amount of time, you're going to understand that we're all about 
abide in Christ. And what does that mean, right? Abide, rest in Christ, resting in the vine. There's not work. I'm not working toward trying to produce these fruits on my labor or, or, or by myself. I'm abiding in Christ. And because of that abiding, his life flows through me. And, and in my life, we will see these fruits come out. And so I thought it would be helpful to kind of just go through the, the fruit of the Spirit here. Again, I just said fruits, plural. And I shouldn't have said that. The fruit of the Spirit. But you can... The aspects of this fruit of the Spirit, you can break them down into three groups of three. This is one of my 27 groups of three. Actually, this is a very short sermon. We're almost there. So when we abide in the vine, we bear the fruit of the vine, not the fruit of ourselves. And if we want to divide that fruit into uh, three groups of three, the first group is really fruit that is related to what's happening on the inside of me. The first three. They're internal. The first word there is love, agape in Greek. And agape, as you probably know, is a word that describes not love between uh, friends or family and not an attraction of love or, or eros love between uh, male and female or, or any other combination of things that you want to talk about today. This is actually a perfect love, a perfect love that can only come from God. And therefore, the fruit of God's spirit, right, the fruit of God is love. Because, like we're taught many other places in scripture, that God is love. And if that is the first part, the first description of this fruit of the spirit, and you're familiar with Paul's other writings, like 1 Corinthians 13, for example, love is patient, love is kind, all of these different attributes, then we're kind of confronted with this idea or, or an affirmation like, yeah, this is not about different, different fruits. This is the aspects of one fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is agape. It's God's perfect love. And if I'm abiding in God, then God's perfect love will be evident in my life. In 1 John chapter 4, our, uh, our wedding theme verse is that we... Love because God first loved us, right? And there's a truism there that we'll never be able to, uh, the love that we give out won't surpass the love that we've experienced. If I've never experienced unconditional love and acceptance, I can't even give that to my spouse or to my, my children, let alone to people that I are not, not in my immediate family, right? And if you ever want to think about a challenge of uh, the deeds of the flesh versus the fruit of the spirit. Have three children. And try to get to church on time when you're preaching a sermon on a Sunday morning in Beijing. But thank God that I don't have to be the, um, acting in the flesh. right? I can even have this agape love towards my children as the spirit loves them through me. If we have agape love, then we can have joy. Right? And joy, as we know, is not silly happiness or a stupid smile on your face that you just want to kind of shake off that person because everything's going wrong, but they're still smiley and giddy. That's not, that's not joy. Somebody who is experiencing the joy of the Lord is that regardless of all circumstances, they know that he is in control, and I can have joy in that. And if I have joy in that because of his perfect love and the joy that flows through that, I have peace that passes understanding. 
Because no matter what's happening around me, no matter what's happening in my marriage, in my workplace, in my church, on the traffic, uh, on the road here toward church on Sunday morning in Beijing, I can have peace. Right? And that peace comes directly out of that perfect love from God to me and through me. The joy that I have in all circumstances and that peace that passes understanding in every circumstance no matter what. So that's the first three aspects of the fruit of the spirit internally and how they work in my heart, in my life, in my mind. The next three you could say are in, they're external in relation to other people. Right? We have patience or sometimes translated as, as long-suffering. That is really difficult to do on your own strength, right? And, and thank God we don't have to do it in our own strength. Because just like that, that thing people tell you, don't pray for patience or, or God will give you, you know, reasons to not be patient. <laughs> Every person in the world is a reason to not be patient, right? But if I truly love them unconditionally, then I will be patient with them because love is patient. This is core to Paul's theology. The next one is, is, is kindness, and sometimes it's translated as gentleness, right? We know that we have the truth of the Holy Spirit, and we can speak truth. We say, you know, I just want to speak truth. But we sometimes maybe kind of glaze over the idea of speaking truth in love. If we're speaking truth in love, then there is kindness involved, and there's gentleness involved. But I think the translation for this particular word from the Greek is, is uh, if I pronounce it correctly, krestotes, okay? Which means kindness. The English word really means of one kind, right? It's this empathy for other people. Every time that Paul, Jesus, or any of the prophets in the Old Testament talk about God's kindness or God's loving kindness, it's not some kind of uh, sweet, kind old lady, oh, just so kind, like that. It's there's, a, there's an action involved. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And his loving kindness, he gives us blessings and he makes it rain on the righteous and the unrighteous because of his kindness. And so there should be this sense of, I can empathize with the person that I'm talking to. I'm not judging them. It's not just gentleness, but I, I'm entering into that person's pain. I'm entering into that person's struggle. And in that kindness, I'm also able to actually give, just like God would give to that person. And of course, we don't give things that are bad, we give goodness, right? And goodness is just the idea that we're, we're trying to want the best for the other person. Because love, just like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, that we always believe the best and we always want the best for the other person. So we've got three core internal aspects. My love, my joy, my peace. And these external aspects in relation to other people. And then the last three descriptors of the fruit of the spirit are also external but more in relation to myself. Faithfulness is often uh, translated as belief. And we know that faith, belief, does not come from me. Again, central to Paul's teaching in Ephesians chapter 2. Right? I don't have faith that comes from myself. It is the gift of God. So if I want to have belief, if I want to have faith, if I want to be faithful 
to God's calling and to what I know about him, all of that faith has to come from the Spirit, not from myself. I can't, can't will myself to believe strongly or will myself to believe better. I love the phrase that people often use. You know, if I'm talking with some of my, my atheist friends about, you know, I'm a Christian and, and they're not a Christian, and I say, well, you just choose to believe in that worldview because that helps you live, you know, it's like a crutch or, or get, whatever it gets you through the day, whatever helps you navigate the problems of the world. And I think, choose to believe? When was the last time you ever chose to believe something? Have you ever chosen to believe something? Let's just practice for one second. We all believe in gravity, right? Just for one second, can you choose to pretend that you don't believe in gravity? How would you do that? Okay, I didn't choose to believe in Jesus. I didn't choose to be a Christian. I didn't choose to believe any of these things. Right? It wasn't my choice. If I were to make up my own religion, I would certainly not have chosen Christianity. Right? I would have had the fruit of Ian, would have been my core teaching, and it would be whatever I want to do. It, it wouldn't be patient with other people. It wouldn't be kind when I feel angry. And it certainly wouldn't be loving that I have to always give to other people rather than be taking care of myself. Right? Belief, I would suggest to you, is not a choice. But it happens through revelation, it happens through conviction, and it happens as we acquire knowledge. There are many things that in, in practical daily life, we, we believe because we are taught about those things. And faith is not from ourselves, but it is a gift of God. And so, again, externally, my faith or my belief will be manifested in how I act. Right? Show me your faith without your deeds. Does that sound familiar to you? If I have faith, there will be external deeds or external actions about my faith. If I'm trying to convince you that I don't believe in gravity, that I'm choosing not to believe in gravity right now, I will do something to prove that to you, right? But we all believe in gravity. And everything we do, the way we walk, the way we sit down, the way we do everything in life shows by our deeds that we believe in gravity. And in the same way, if we believe in Christ and if we have genuine faith in Christ, the actions that we do, whether that be giving beyond uh, our means, or whether that be pausing and, and praying for somebody when you don't have time to pray with them, or whether that be wh whatever it may be, there should be actions, there should be deeds that show that I have faith in Christ, that this is the way I ought to live, and you should be able to see that in me. The next one is meekness. And meekness is not weakness, as you've probably heard many times. But it's power under control. And Jesus himself, being the most powerful being in the universe, but choosing to be incarnate in the flesh, the, the non-evil flesh, was displaying meekness for us. Power under control. Where he could have snapped his fingers or spoken a word or winked an eye, or I don't know, whatever he would have done, and, and just brought down the entire Roman army that wanted to crucify him. Or he could have made all the the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, mute and not able to teach anything. But he didn't. In his meekness, he loved other people and he was obedient to the Father. And I think that's a confusion that a lot of people have. If Jesus 
was so powerful, and if he's God's son, why was he so meek in this time on earth? Why wouldn't he prove to us that he was God's son? Why wouldn't he do something to convince us? Exactly. Most of us are not ready to experience the kind of miracles that we would ask for. And even if we saw them, we probably wouldn't believe them anyway. That's what Jesus said, right? This unrepentant generation that doesn't believe, faithless generation. This is crowdsourcing my sermon right here. The final uh, aspect of the fruit of the Spirit, also in relation to myself, but that you should see, this should be external, is translated as self-control. In the Greek, a uh, word here is could be translated as in-holding, which is kind of a, a it's like I'm, I'm actually restraining myself. And so in Paul's theology, we know that there's this, this idea of the flesh or the sinful nature, what we would call my old man, right, versus the, the new creation, which is the Holy Spirit working in and through me. It's weird to say that the fruit of the Spirit, or the Spirit working in me, is self-control. Right, so if I'm controlled by the Spirit, then I'm self-controlled. No, if I'm controlled by the Spirit, I'm actually self-restrained. Because myself wants to do things like, whatever, gluttony, well, actually he, he mentioned the deeds of the flesh right there, right? Drunkenness, anger, malice, orgies, gluttony, and the like. That's what our self often wants to do. But if we have self-control, then it's the spirit, in the power of the spirit, restraining our sinful nature and enabling us to follow the spirit or to produce the fruit of the spirit. So overcoming the sinful nature. And all we have to do, if you believe what Jesus said in the Gospel of John, is abide. Right? So we talk about abide every week here at Capitol. And it sounds simple. Right? In verse 25, after this, this list of the, the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, Paul says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Some translations might say, if we live in the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Right? Pull the line or march together with with the Spirit. But again, the Greek here could be translated more like, if we may be living to Spirit, then to Spirit may we be elementing. This is why I don't learn Greek. Elementing, the elementals, the fundamentals of the Spirit, right? If we're living in the Spirit, if we want to produce this fruit, if we want to see this fruit in our lives, and we desire that we're living according to the way the Spirit um, desires for us to live and to be displaying Christ in our actions, in our words, in our relationships. If we want that, it's not in my effort, but it goes back to the fundamentals. The elements of what the Spirit actually is. And just like any good sermon, I think, would conclude with a ap practical application, Paul, in pretty much every letter that he talks uh, to any church that he's written to brings it down to three 
fundamentals. And these are like the quintessential Sunday school answer. But they're true for us today, and they're important that we follow. Because if we expect to abide in Christ, to be plugged into that vine, and to produce the fruit of the Spirit as a conduit, right? We need three things. The first one is prayer. Pray without ceasing. Be constantly talking to God. Be constantly asking him to let us be close to him, to let us be like him. You can ask him. If, if you want patience, you can pray for patience. That's fine, right? But that's not the point. The point is that you are close to him. And if you are close to him and if you are like him, if you are plugged into him rather than into the desires of your sinful nature, then naturally that fruit of patience flows out of you. We need to be praying without ceasing. And I, I struggle with this. If you're like me, which I think many of us maybe are, you're like, no way, buddy. We struggle, right? What does pray without ceasing mean? It doesn't mean you wake up necessarily at 4 a.m. and pray for six hours without ceasing and then keep praying. But whatever you're doing, you're constantly in communication with God because you're plugged into the vine. It's easy. He's right there with you, right? I'm plugged in. I can talk to him. God, help me with this. God, help me bless my neighbor. God, I'm frustrated right now. God, I'm feeling impatient. God, I got to get to the church on time to preach a sermon. God, my kids aren't listening to me. God, I'm feeling frustrated and angry. God, I need your help right now. God, I don't have enough money to pay rent. God, my company is going down the drain and I'm going to take myself down with it. God, my marriage is a mess. God, I love you. God, lead me. God, teach me your word. Right? Constantly. Everything we're doing, pray without ceasing. The second aspect, if we want to be full of the Spirit, abiding in Christ, and manifesting the fruit of the Spirit, is Scripture, right? It's not just what I say to Jesus, but I want to know what he says back to me. And not everyone gets the clear, still small voice for every aspect of everything you pray for. If you do, I'm not judging you or saying that's true or not true. But Jesus speaks to us through the scripture. And the Holy Spirit specifically. If we're going to be full of the spirit, Jesus said before he left his disciples, he said, it is good that I go because when I go, I will send you what? A helper. What's the helper going to do? The helper is going to help you live according to the spirit. Right? And he will not speak of his own accord. He will speak only what he has heard from the father, from me. Right? He's not saying something different. So the, the Spirit is always going to affirm what you've heard in Scripture. He will make it plain to you. If we're not reading the Bible regularly, we're not going to understand the words of the Spirit. We're not hearing His voice regularly because we're not feeding ourselves with that voice. Years ago, years ago, there was a, a friend of mine who went to a different church, and her father said, the Holy Spirit is telling me to leave my family and to go and marry my secretary. Okay? Does that sound like someone who is listening to the Spirit? Is it possible the Bible would say something like that? Well, not specifically, but I felt it like it was there. No, right? Clearly, the desire that God has for marriage, for faithfulness, for all of the fruit of the Spirit is laid out for us. It's never going to contradict His word. And so if we want to have uh, the, the, the knowledge of what the Spirit's telling us, we need to be constantly in his word daily. And again, I struggle with this. 
right? Sometimes I don't have time to read the Bible, or I feel like I don't have time. Sometimes it's not a priority. But it's God's priority. He is waiting. There. All I got to do is open it up, and he's speaking to me. Okay? If you struggle like me, and you're not sure, you know, how do I, what do I read? Where do I start? A couple of things I would recommend, just practical things. One, open up in the New Testament. Open up in the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and just read something that's written in red, if you have a, the letters of Jesus in red. Because I want to see what does Jesus say first, right? What does Jesus have to say? And then maybe go read the Psalms. But read something. Maybe there's a Bible in a year plan. Maybe if, you, if, you, if your eyes hurt, you can't read, or you don't like reading, you get distracted. Find an, an MP3 or a podcast that's like the Bible in, in uh, audio, audio Bible. We need to be full of his word if we expect that we're going to have the fruit of the spirit flowing out of us. And lastly, again, this is so simple, but sometimes so hard, is fellowship. Remember, if we want to have the fruit of the spirit flowing through us, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, and you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. I am the vine, you are the branches. Not I'm the vine, you're the branch. Not this, this measly little grape vineyard with just one little branch and a couple of fruits coming off of it. I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me together. Because we are not called to walk the spiritual walk alone. And we get that sense of accountability, encouragement, and fellowship when we're in this with our brothers and sisters in Christ together. So very, very simple. Back to the basics. Back to that we can be elementing the spirit. Be praying without ceasing. Be full of his word. And make sure that you're spending time with brothers and sisters so that if your eye isn't working very well, that they can have this open accountability of the manufacturing process from the sourcing of where you get everything all the way to your end product. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we don't need to live the spiritual life alone in our own flesh, in our own strength, in our own effort. But you've given us everything we need for life and godliness. I thank you that we all have the same access to this because we all have the same access to you. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit, for his presence. Thank you for your word that is available to us in our, in our heart language, whatever translation we need. Thank you that you reveal the meaning to us because you love us and you desire that we know your heart. And thank you that you've called us to fellowship, both at church, in our homes, in small groups, with other believers. Help us to be transparent with the people around us. Help us not to try and source from uh, things that were not from you. But remember that you are the seed that produces all of the fruit that you desire that we see in our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name.